Welcome to Sparks, a podcast from Ignium, designed to help you reignite your passion and drive your business forwards. For this next episode, I'm talking with Dr. Stephen Crawford. Stephen is a coach, a leadership consultant, and a communications expert. I really enjoyed this conversation because it was exactly that, a conversation between two coaches. Stephen shares a lot of information about what he does in his business experience leadership. He's also a podcast host of the Experience Leadership Podcast. And actually, this conversation just led us down a path talking about passion, purpose, and authors that have inspired us to move in our business as we move through things. I know you're going to enjoy it. Please, as always, give us a review at the end of it, send your feedback, and also just let us know what else we can do to bring more of this leadership experience to you for the future. Enjoy the show. Phil, just so great to have you uh, on the show. Uh, but want to really start from kind of the, the genesis. You know, as an engineer, uh, <laughs> I would say that switching and shifting from engineer to strategy consultant and coach uh, is, is, is vastly uh, kind of different. So how did you get your start? That's a really great question, Stephen. I was, um, I, was, I was lucky. I was a mechanical engineer in the 1990s. So it seems a long time ago now. Uh, and I joined the Rolls-Royce Graduate Development Programme. And at the time, Rolls-Royce was a, I mean, it's still a great business, you know, competing with General Electric and Pratt & Whitney. Um, but the thing about it, it had a great leadership development program. And I came out of an engineering degree and went into Rolls-Royce on their management development program and was lucky. I got in at the right time and they spent money on me. And part of that helped me look at where I wanted to go next. And I, um, I was a child of the time where it became MBAs were the thing that a lot of people went to do back in the beginning of 2000s. And I realized I was too young to go on an MBA at that time. I was only 23, but it was something I had an aspiration to do. But my manager at the time allowed me to go on a day release program to do a diploma in management, which in the UK was the starting point of a management development program for an MBA. So I got into that program, did the, the diploma in management, and that led me into learning about management as opposed to engineering. And I suddenly realized actually people were what made businesses tick as well as the engineering. And I needed two skills. And the other bit for it as well, Rolls-Royce was really good about understanding that some people had a technical ability and wanted to go down a technical route, and other people had a good managerial ability. And you shouldn't stop either person going down those different routes, and you shouldn't limit their capacity to grow. So I went down a management route. And the next thing that happened for me that was really good, in 1996, Rolls-Royce decided they need to re-engineer the business. And it was called business process re-engineering back in those days. And Rolls-Royce brought in a consultancy firm called A.T. Carney. And as a 26-year-old graduate, I thought, this is my chance. And I got myself onto that program as the internal consultant and ended up working alongside some really seasoned consultants from the U.S. and the U.K. And I learned a lot of skills, still as Rolls-Royce. But that was the thing that started me on this journey into leadership development and, and coaching. Now, coaching back in the 90s wasn't something that most people talked about, but it was growing. And I think that's where I discovered this word coaching, but it wasn't for another 10 years I got into real coaching as I call it now. Yeah, and I think that uh, even, I, I think it was back in the 90s when uh, John Whitmore really got, began to be popularized by, by his book uh, on performance-based coaching and, and really helping managers really come to that revelation. So I, I, my curious, curiosity really leads me to this idea because uh, for those of you who are joining our podcast, uh, you know, this is going to be a shared podcast between Ignium Podcasting and, and Sparks by Ignium and Experience Leadership. So those who are joining from our side of the pod, uh, who are listening to this podcast, uh, you know, 
Ignium Consulting, uh, there, there, there's got you're sparking my curiosity <laughs> by that title. So, so give us a little insight. Why Ignium Consulting? Tell us a little bit about that. I love I, I love the idea, and I've got my thoughts, but I want you to kind of share uh, where the where you the seat you sit in. Yeah, I do know. I love that question. And um, so, so this is my this is my third business. Um, so I, I left that Rolls Royce journey back in 2005 and, and set out on the world as a consultant and specifically around that word strategy. I went on and did my MBA 10 years later, did my MBA and I fell in love with strategy because it was about predicting the future. And I'm a big picture person. I love seeing the macro picture of what's going on. And if anyone could see me now, I've got my arms out moving around saying, look, this is what I look at. And for me, I love this word strategy. And I set out to create an electronics business. I built, I built a business called Bright Technology. When I say built, I bought some product from China and tried to sell it in the UK. And if anyone wants that, 20 years later, I've still got a garage full of product because I didn't have the right strategy to sell it. So the business <laughs> failed pretty quickly. Um, and, and for the last 15 years, I think I've been on a mission to look at how do I help businesses do better than I did with that product. Mm. And what I realized is that uh, it's very easy to come up with ideas around a business. We can all have ideas. Ideas are everywhere. But putting a business in practice and making it come alive is key and maintaining that momentum. Because actually you and I have got great sparks. You know, if we talk, Stephen, we can come up with lots of ideas. We spark ideas off of people. There's lots of stuff out there. And I think as you get into a business, sometimes those ideas don't come as well to each other. And Ignium was born out of the view that the thing that sustains business is passion. And what sustains passion is purpose. So when we created Ignium, Kerry and I came up with it and we said, actually, we want a business that really creates a passion for people around this word purpose yes because if you get your purpose right as jim collins always says get your core principle right it will guide you on for the future mm. and ignium is about sparking that and maintaining that spark to keep your momentum going that's the that's the key to it now, uh, for those of you that are entrepreneurs, and I know that we always recommend when we start working with a company, especially a company that's entrepreneurial led, uh, that they read the book, The E-Myth or, or something like that. And, uh, and I believe it's an E-Myth Revisited. Yes, there's about 100 different E-Myth books out there now, but uh, I think it was E-Myth Revisited where uh, Sarah, his prototype client uh, that he's constantly interacting with both in E-Myth Revisited and uh, E-Myth uh, 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 worldwide, uh, but yeah. Emith Mastery, excuse me. And so in Emith Mastery, he's, he, he, he challenges her on this word purpose. And he goes as far as to say, there is no purpose to purpose. If you get consumed with purpose, he almost says it's, you're getting lost in the wrong thing. You don't discover, you know, your purpose is discovered as a part of this, this larger framework but people get too obsessed over the word purpose without truly understanding that whatever you do, kind of like what you said with ideas, yeah. choose an idea, lock on to something. I, and I believe it was John Maxwell that really, really uh, struck me with this because they asked him, what's the most important quality that you would say that has contributed to your success? And he looked and he, he looked around and you think I'm just going to say something profound. He says, consistency. Yeah. Whatever path you choose, and purpose, I believe, is what ignites uh, a fire within us to say, this is what I am called or responsible to do. This is what I, based upon the gifts that I've been given, this is what I owe humankind uh, to deliver for them. And so it, it comes from this spark. But if we get obsessed in the, the, the journey of discovering purpose, we'll get lost rather than choosing 
and letting that discovery define something for us and move in that direction. And I, I yeah. think that's where I, I, I would love to hear your thoughts on that. Cause I mean, you know, I, yeah. when I first read that from uh, Emeth mastery, where he says, there's no purpose to purpose. I was discouraged because purpose is central. What are you talking about? But yeah. I, I, I yeah. what, what he was getting, I would love for you to get your thoughts on what he was getting at with that. Yeah. And you know, it's a really interesting point. Cause I, I, I and that book, before we go into that, that book was the first book my accountant in the UK gave me when I, when I said to, I want to set up a business. She said, before you do this, go and read this book. And I went away and read it and still set up the business. And, and a few years later, I was lucky enough to meet Michael E. Gerber uh, at an event. And I, um, I got him to sign that book because to mm. me, that's a book that sits on my bookshelf now. And I think it guides a lot of things. And, and I love that thing around um, consistency because you're right, you can go into business and, and you see this a lot from your work as well, Stephen, in terms of getting into a business is easy. It's maintaining it and, and using Sarah as that example of that um, prototype business and of getting in there and doing it it's very easy to say what we're going to do. But unless you stick to the knitting, as we say, and do the thing you're good at, actually, it's very easy to get deviated from it. And I think even in your work in terms of leadership, coaching and training, if you looked at some of these individuals, it's not that they're not clear on their ideas. It's because they just don't stick to what they're really good at in the first place. And sometimes purpose, I think, is um, it's, the, it's the guiding North Star. It's the, it's the guiding light to where we're going in the future. But you have to understand why why is it important and you know you and i often talk about books stephen and the, the one book you know i always come back to is good to great by jim collins mm -hmm. and the other one more recently is just come back to simon cynic's book mm -hmm. and say okay if you start with why and understand that and be really clear on it it's the thing that motivates you it gets you out of bed in the morning it drives your passion it keeps you moving so i think consistency is key and and you know there's lots of quotes around this and and um, interesting, a lot of the quotes I quote to my clients come, come from the 1960s, and I quote two people, Martin Luther King and JFK. Mm -hmm. And I say, both of those people, you know, at the end of the day, I have a dream that one day, or by the end of this decade, we'll put a man on the moon. Mm -hmm. And what that does for me, that just, even though I say that now, it brings a tingle down the back of my neck. Mm -hmm. Think about what those two gentlemen had in mind. That's what purpose is to me. It's that guiding light which will drive people on despite those two individuals not being there to see the end of their dream. Mm. That's the thing that makes it come alive for me. That's so profound. And I, I think that goes right along with um, kind of what, what, what I was thinking when I, when, I, when I asked that question, because when you, when you think about it, if you become obsessed with the journey of discovering your purpose, you'll get lost. Yes. Don't become obsessed with the yeah. journey of finding it. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. That's a really point. It, it, it will be discovered if you do the thing, you know, as Emerson would say, then you'll have the power. Do the thing, yeah. then you have the power. And so it's, it's, it's this idea of we are all driven by the most dominant image in our mind. We're all driven by yeah. it. And so what dominates your thinking? Do the thing, and then you'll have the power. So move in the direction yeah. of that image. Yeah. What is that image? What is that? What is that aspiration? So when you have a a Martin Luther King Jr. and you have a John F. Kennedy, there, there, there's a dominant image that they set upon yeah. the consciousness of a nation to say, yeah. "This is the picture. Let me yeah. walk you through this." And with that image, it gives clarity. It gives definition. Yeah. One of my favorite definitions uh, from an author over here, it says that vision is a clear mental picture of what could be. 
fueled mm. by the conviction that it should be. And so if you don't have either one of those elements, if you don't have a clear mental picture of what could be, you know, when you're dreaming of what, if it's not clear, if it's murky, then you're going to have challenge with that vision. But it also, there has to be this triggering element that that fuel by passion, that this isn't just, this is not just what could be, you know, we could Mm -hmm. make a million dollars a year. We could make a billion dollars a year. You know, none of that means anything. We should make, we should do what. So, 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 so the clear picture connected to passion, that's what, in my opinion, drives vision. It drives purpose. Yeah. Yeah, I, I love that. And I love that difference between the could be and should be, because I think there's a lot to be said for that, because that's the thing that drives it on. And I think the, um, the, the, the bit you mentioned just there, which really resonates for me is around, um, do you find your purpose or, or does your purpose find you? Mm. Because I believe we're all born with a purpose. And that may seem very spiritual in that sense. Mm-hmm. But I believe it's only when you find it mm-hmm. or discover it that you can start bringing it to life. Uh, and I bet if you looked at some of the leaders you've worked with over the time, they probably don't know what it is, but you probably saw that spark in their eyes when they talked about something. You saw the thing that brought the tear to their eye when they said, this is what we're here for. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how that makes you, makes you feel when you see that, because to me, that's the thing that brings that, it, the hairs on the back of my neck go up and I think, this is it, this is it. You know, one of the reasons that I got into coaching, uh, primarily, because I was frustrated by watching those sparks fly in the training room and not being able to facilitate the ev- the evolution of that spark, knowing that when they left that training room that day, maybe it's a one day, two day, three day training, there's not gonna be anyone to help guide them through a process to commit to the picture, that image, that, mm-hmm. that spark that they saw in that room. And I got yeah. into coaching because I said, you know what, I don't wanna just train, I, 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 I know that I can facilitate a conversation that ignites something within people that that's that spark takes off. But if it just stays mm-hmm. a spark, uh, I, I think it's Napoleon Hill that says it quickly goes out. Right. Uh, it's it, and, and, and I think uh, it was Zig Ziglar who said that a dream uh, that is uh, or a goal that is casually made is quickly abandoned at the first sight of trouble. And so wow. how do we. How, how, how do we facilitate a process? And so when you look at, uh, you, you know, your why uh, for coaching and creating that spark, what, what, what do you see as, 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 as that driver mm. that kind of channels that for you? That's, that's a great question. I was going to ask you the same question. So I'm glad. Um, do you know, for me, I spent a lot of time, I'm going to use the word struggling with it, thinking I had to find my why. Um, I worked for a business back in 2010 onwards, and we used the word intent. And we said, actually, if you understand your intent, you'll be clear, clear, get clear about it. And um, for me, I spent a lot of time with, a, with a, a great coach, and she helped me come up with one word. And it wasn't the right word, but it got me on the journey. And the word she helped me come up with was to help. And we just used one word and said, okay, because if I understood one word, it becomes clear. It's in my mind. So I played with this word to help for a long time. And as a coach, as you probably well know, we're very good at helping people. But the problem is as a coach, if we get stuck into the Cartman drama triangle, we can go from rescuer and stick in that journey Mm -hmm. there of just wanting to rescue everybody we meet because everyone needs help. And I realized actually it was too passive. It wasn't the right thing. So I had to move myself into another paradigm. And we can talk about this in a minute, but to me, there was another paradigm outside of that persecutor rescuer drama triangle and say, okay, what's the other side? 
And that word help didn't work for me. So a few years later, I, um, I've, I've been running all my life, but I started running marathons to raise money back in 2008. And um, I realized the thing that I got from my marathon running was not just raising money, but I became inspired to do more. And I noticed other people were inspired to do it as well. So I started playing with this word rather to help, but to inspire. Mm. And I realized what I'm really good at in a non-egotistical way is actually to inspire people. I do stuff where I want people to be inspired to take action, to, to not just listen to the training, but be inspired to get up and do something, to pick up the book off the shelf, to get down the gym and do something, to get out and put their trainers on and run. And that's the thing. So for the last probably eight years now, I've been working with this word to inspire. Mm. And I say to myself, contextually, does everything I do sum up to helping inspire the person I'm talking to in some level? And if it doesn't, what do I need to do to change my mental attitude to help them become inspired or inspire themselves? So my purpose now is simply to inspire. See, and this is, this is where I hope all of our listening audience really grab that. Uh, because most people believe that they, they, they can't move because they don't feel like they have the right word or the right yeah. element. And it's like, that's what we're kind of getting at with the purpose. If you, if you become obsessed trying to reduce every other possibility to get to your right word, you'll never get started. But to help got him started on the journey. And uh, it's so funny because I was in discussion with, uh, with a client earlier this week about the drama triangle. And it, it's, it was, uh, uh, I, 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 I challenged him because I said, it's, is, is it, I asked him the question, is it possible that you take too much responsibility? And, yeah, and, yeah. and he, he said, no, I don't think that's possible. You can't be too accountable. You can't take too much responsibility. <laughs> and so uh, one of my favorite uh, books is the 50 commitments of conscious leadership. And, 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 and mm. in that book, they, they, they lay out uh, what it means to be above and below the line. And as everybody knows, uh, who's heard me talk about the above and the below line, above the line is, is to, you take ownership, accountability, and responsibility. Below that line, you have blame, excuses, and denial. And so below the line is this, is this place. And the drama triangle really uh, uh, puts us in a position where we're either victim, where uh, we're, we're just hopeless, we're just helpless, oh, nothing I can do about it. Uh, everything happens to me. Uh, or villain which it's always my fault. You know, you meet people, uh, I, I've met quite a few people that, oh yeah, everything's my fault. They, 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 they just, and the other one is the rescuer, the hero, uh, where they don't allow other people. And so in this drama triangle uh, on a hundred percent responsibility, uh, the commitment, the above the line commitment is that I commit to taking a hundred percent responsibility for my personal, emotional and spiritual state and I support others in taking 100% responsibility for their personal, emotional, and spiritual state. And when you jump in and try to rescue and don't support people in taking 100% responsibility, you are also living below that line. And I found that to be yeah. fascinating. And so as coaches, yeah. we get the opportunity, you know, essentially, uh, people actually give us money <laughs> to hold them accountable to the image and the dream that they have. And if we try to jump in there and be the rescuer, and this is where I find your, your transition from helper to inspirer very, very mm. critical, because if you jump mm. in and help 
your clients, you actually do them a disservice because you diminish their ability to take full responsibility for their own vision and for their own dream. Yes. And that's, you know, that's exactly it. And it took me a few years to recognize that. And I realized that because I was sitting in the helper mode, I was actually sitting in the rescuer mode, taking responsibility for you where I can't take responsibility for anything. I can just inspire you to take things for yourself and do things yourself. And I, I, I love that that way you've articulated it. Um, th- there's one bit that I, I think really sits in. There. I love this thing about the above and below the line. And I talked about different paradigms and, and this paradigm idea I think fits really neatly when you talk about the 50 commitments because for me I used to talk about new and old paradigm an old paradigm is victim rescuer persecutor new paradigm was actually just this word response ability mm. how do I take how do I sit in a place where I can take response responsibility of everything that happens to me around me and realizing that only I can control what's going on it's not the government it's not the weather it's not covid it's me. And only when I step into that place, I can stop blaming people for my mistakes because it's only me. <laughs> if I'm injured, it's actually me that's caused it. And, and I think as a coach, you and I sit in that same space where we're here to sit in a space of non-judgment about the people we work with. We're here to help them re- realize for themselves that what they want to do. And I think you've got to move from this left-hand side, as I call it, the, the old paradigm victim, rescuer, persecutor, into this space of responsibility. And the word that sits in there is just love. And if you can get to a point where just actually love, which seems very spiritual sometimes, but as a coach, I sit there in space and say, how do I help this person love himself or love themselves better and do more for the world around them? Mm. And I think that comes full circle back to this thing about um, sparking people, getting people to spark and understand what's really going on for them at heart, at source, as a human being, that's the key. Yeah. Now, one concern that I have is that up until now, uh, our listeners are going to think that as coaches, we're having all the fun. Uh, so, <laughs> which is which, which is fine. We do have fun in what we do, but this is this 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 podcast uh, that we have is designed to actually activate within others the ability to have the same fun that we have. So, when you look at helping leaders shape the culture of their organization uh, to activate the elements of genius within others. Mm-hmm. Where do you start in, in, in kind of navigating leaders to really become active participants in releasing the genius within their, yeah, their teams? That's a, that's a great question. Great question. Um, so, so I've just started re-listening to a book on Audible, which I haven't seen for many years. And it's by Marshall Goldsmith. And it's called, What Got You Here Won't Get You There. Yes. And, and, and I haven't read it for many years. And, and I'm just listening to it. And, and there's a key bit in that, that actually, as an engineer, I was great technically at doing what I did. And I used to laugh with people. As an engineer, I was paid for the answers I gave. Because at the end of the day, Rolls-Royce was about keeping planes in the sky. And if I got it wrong, planes fell out of the sky. Not good. Whereas as a coach, what do we do? We ask questions. So the key is actually we have to help leaders ask questions and sit in a non-judgmental space of the people with them and leave their ego at the door. Now, that's an easy thing to say, a tough thing to do sometimes. Mm-hmm. And Marshall Goldsmith talks about this quite, quite a lot in terms of actually, we have to just sit there as people people. 
because you can become a CFO in a business <laughs> or you can be a CEO in a business because you're good at doing what you do, mm-hmm. but you've got to be a great people person. And that's about just sitting there and saying, okay, how do I help the people around me help themselves and we grow the business together? So I think to answer your question, actually it's about, they've got to recognize themselves, they've got to park their ego and they've got to start working on themselves first before they work on the business. That's the key to me. That's rich. What was that? Yeah, from your perspective, when you you know you you're in this you're in this game as well. In that case, what um, one thing I know of you, you're very good at standing up and speaking, and you're working with audiences. So how do you get that message across to an audience when you're working with them, which is full of leaders who have got big egos because they've done what they've done really well. Well, and 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 I think that part of that in communication is one of the elements that we uh, position ourselves to do. And 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 I can uh, I, I think uh, and I think is is Patricia Fripp. From that side of the pond as well yeah. so all right so uh, i've not heard of her name for a long time patricia Fitt, yes she does a lot of work um with um with alan vice yes, yes. so so uh you know I, I i've been through a lot of uh communication coaching and, and and learning how to communicate uh and she's one of the i believe she's one of the best in the world at it when i've heard her uh uh speech and and kind of prepare people to uh to, to kind of kind of kind of do that and it, it's teaching as a communication style and a communication device to ask questions that force other people to give the answers. So it's almost doing the same thing uh, that we do on a one-to-one basis. And I think the best speakers don't sound like they're speaking to thousands. I think the, the largest crowd I ever spoke mm-hmm. to was about 17,000 people, you know, I, I, it was just, you know, and, and, and it felt good in that moment. But if you're really, really good, the difference between the reason I only spoke to that group one time and the person that came behind me, uh, speaks to a crowd that size every week is because he's learned the art of not talking to 17,000 people, but he's learned the art of talking to one and having that skill to really speak to every person in the audience as if they, and, and that takes skill and it takes an understanding of shaping your language all around that one person that you're trying to make a difference for uh, in that audience. And, and I think that comes across in terms of just the, the coaching work that you and I both do in terms of the individual. You have to make it unique to the one person. I think there's a lot of consultants in the market around the world and they have their package. They have their toolkit of what they've developed over the years. And then they try and apply that same toolkit to every person in the same, <laughs> same way. And actually, as a coach, we need to unfold our toolkit and bring out the right tool and say, Stephen, what is it we need to work on today to help you become the best person you can be? I've got the tools, but we need to apply it to you personally. And I think that's the key. And this is, this is what's difficult for me. And, and for those that are uh, in our listening audience, you just, you, you have to understand, this is why terrible coaches stay in business. <laughs> terrible coaches are, are really good at just applying the same tool to every, every situation. And the, the sad thing is, is that that's what sells. Yeah. And I, I, I hate to say this, but that's what sells. People want to buy a proven system, something that they can logically wrap their heads around there. Mm-hmm. They want to be able to buy a system when their challenges and their problems are nothing but unique. Yeah. But they want to buy and apply the tool. And, and, and if you can fit into a package. And so terrible coaches oftentimes, and I say that because they're great marketers, because they're able to deliver it from a marketing perspective. And so... I feel like I had to learn the balance. And this is this is a little confession time for me. From marketing uniformity 
And then when I get the client customizing delivery. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I love that. And so it's just, and so I'm, I'm training a, 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 a group of coaches right now. We have a cohort. Uh, we, uh, every six months we, we do, we, we run some, uh, we, we have a, a place where we try to, where we help people not only develop the art and skill of coaching, but also uh, to build their coaching practice. And so um, in that, uh, we have to, I'm, I'm finding myself always teaching this. You have to market to uniformity as if there's only one solution in the world that's going to work for everybody. And then once you get them to sign the dotted line, then you have to begin to customize yeah. your delivery yeah. because everybody, as much as they want to buy that, everybody's not going to be helped or served really well by buying the same tool. Yeah. It's almost as if going to a store and believing everyone's going to fit into the same pair of pants. Yeah. And you know, I think that's a, that's a great analogy. And I love that in terms of that, that pants analogy, because at the end of the day, we all want something different. And what works for one doesn't work for the other. But the key, I think, is that we can actually stereotype people into some way when we look at the leaders in businesses. And actually, they all have mm -hmm. that same, they, they all have a, a, a group of issues which are similar. And our job as coaches and leadership developers is actually helping them understand, actually, what is it I need to do to apply that to myself and also then look at myself in the mirror? Because I think the great thing mm -hmm. that coaches do and the great thing that great coaches do is hold up the mirror to the individual and say, what do you see? Yes. And that's the key because actually you've got the marketing uniformity, but we can then apply it in a different way because we can say, okay, who's looking back at you? And I think that's the key. Mm -hmm. I, I, I've got a funny story on this. Um, uh, over, over this lockdown in the UK, which we've now had almost 12 months of, um, we've been going through many movies on Netflix and Amazon. And uh, we've discovered Rocky again. Now, I haven't watched, <laughs> haven't watched Rocky for 20 plus years. And remember, bear in mind, the first Rocky was written in 1976, I think it was. And one of the key things that I picked up in that, that film this time around, 30 years later, was who's the person you're fighting? And Sylvester Sloan points in the air and he, he's training the young guy called um, Creed. It's Creed's son. And he makes him look mm -hmm. in the mirror and say, who's the guy you're fighting? He says, it's not the opponent. You're fighting yourself. And yeah, actually, we have to help ourselves get over what's in here, what's in our mind, because that's the thing that's going to stop us. And that's the thing that's going to help us get where we want to go. And, and I come back to that. And I think there's a, there's a wonderful message in that film, Creed, and in all the Rambo, uh, the, the, Rambo, the Rocky mm -hmm. films, which is actually about you've got to deal with yourself first. And that's the uniqueness mm -hmm. of coaching. It helps you understand yourself. That's brilliant. And, and so when you're looking at, we're looking at leaders as we're kind of, you know, wrapping up our conversation. And hopefully this won't be the last time because I'm really thoroughly enjoying it. But I realize that uh, we, we design our podcasts to be able to, uh, fit within the ride to work yeah. or the ride back home. So we have to, we, we have to have boundaries somewhere, right? Uh, so when you're looking at uh, organizations that are looking to inspire uh, and to uh, lift the entire culture, not just uh, maybe an individual leader with an individual team, but you're looking for as a culture, they realize that they've been an error in the sense that they've, they've, they've been a business that haven't been intentional about uh, creating that spark within their culture. Yeah. What advice would you give them? Uh, and what would be a good starting point? Yeah, that's a, that's a, a great question. We're packed with a lot of information. So we're going to have to spend a lot of time on the next call talking about that. But I think the, the starting point for me is first of all, realizing in the same way you talked about purpose and, and purpose finding you, and actually it's, it's the thing that becomes consistent in your business. I think a lot of people go out of their way to try and say, okay, what's the culture we're given? Now, my view is you go out and create the culture. 
And I think this is one of the things that there's some great businesses out there who say, okay, how do I want to be perceived? In the same way, great marketing companies will help you position your business in the mind of the consumer, the way you want to be perceived. Actually, you can do the same with culture. What culture do we want? Let's be intentional about it. Because actually, at the end of the day, the, the employees want to come to work for a business that fits in with their values and their own purpose. They may not have exact alignment, but I think too many businesses sit in the boardroom and say, right, this is the culture we're going to dictate to the business. And everyone else just fits in. Whereas my view is actually we need to start working in the bottom up as well as top down to say, okay, what are the key values? What's happening in this business? What's going on for us? And not just the values, but really understanding what are the behaviors we expect? Because it's only the behaviors when you can see the culture coming to life. So my view is understand what culture you want. Do you want a work all hours God sends and you'll get the culture from that? Or do you want to work with a balance? Do you want to respect people? Mm. Do you want to provide a culture where people feel they're respected for what they're doing? And you know what? We can go out of our way to create that. And it all becomes a matter of choice. So my, my big thing is there is just choose what culture do you want? And then let's work on creating it through everything we do. And I believe it is possible. So that word choice really comes home for me. That's rich. That's really rich. Well, I want to thank you for taking the time to, uh, to spend with us and I like I like I said I'm excited to be able to to uh, to run this conversation again and again because this is just this this is something that I can talk about all day. We're all driven by passion, uh, but some people are just uh, they're passionate about the football team or the they're passionate about every, someone else's dream, mm -hmm. right? Someone else's championship, someone else's and and to really really become students of ourselves and to become passionate what, about what ignites us yeah. uh, that ignium that. That, that sparks us to that next level. I, it, that's that, that's going to be able to make the difference. So uh, Phil Rose, thank you so much for spending time with us. We're so excited. And uh, we want to have you again, uh, back again sometime soon. Oh, thank you. I really appreciate it. It's, it's great to talk. And it's nice to, nice to talk with an expert in this field and have a conversation one-to-one. -one. So thank you very much for having me here. It's been great. Thank you. Thank you. So that concludes this episode of Sparks. Thanks for listening. We're always looking for ideas on how to drive this podcast forward. So if you've got comments, please leave them via a review of our show, along with your rating, or send us an email to sparks at ignimconsult.com.